We are currently in a series where we are working our way through the book of Romans, and I'm pretty excited about this week. And the reason for that is because we have looked at God's election, and we have looked at God's wrath, and we have looked at God's law, and all of that gets us ready for this week. This week. I said a couple of weeks ago that if you've walked into a jewelry store before, you may have noticed that they have like dark backgrounds. And the dark background is like the wrath of God. It's it's the contrast so that you can see the sparkle of the diamond in contrast to the dark background. And that was the wrath of God. And last week we looked at the law of God and how the law of God points toward the gospel, toward the good news about who Jesus is, and it's like the light in the jewelry case that's shining down on the diamond so that you can see every facet and every sparkle and just how wonderful that thing is. But this Sunday, right now, we get to look at the gospel itself, that diamond, the the thing that the whole thing is set up for. You walk into that jewelry shop and everything there is to show you just how beautiful these diamonds are, and that's what this is this morning. That good news about who Jesus is that's just shining before us. Now, we can't jump straight in. We have to set up. Okay? So, but, uh, but that's what's coming. Gospel, diamond gospel, that's what's coming. Let's start in Romans chapter 10 in verse 1, just so that we can set the context. Because if you, if you remember, Paul was, was talking about, uh, in chapter 9, who the Jews are and, and what they believed and that they didn't quite understand. And so in Romans chapter 10, he's saying, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So he's, he begins this chapter, this portion. He's writing and he's saying, look, I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. I, I love them. I was, I was with them in being zealous, just so excited and passionate for the law of God. And so they have a great passion. They just don't understand. And I was right there with them. I was so passionate about God's law that, uh, that I was killing the followers of Jesus because I wanted to just make sure that everybody understood this is the way the law was supposed to be. And then Jesus revealed Himself to me and said, Paul, you've got it all wrong. And now I realize... My understanding of the law was wrong, just like theirs is. And so I just feel this great compassion and love for them. Because they're so passionate, and they just don't get it. Because they're they're taking the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, rather than to submit to God's righteousness. They're missing the point of the law. They think that the point of the law is, is to help them to uh, make themselves better. Somehow earn the favor of God. Somehow do things so that God would be pleased with them. Like a child trying to please their parents by cleaning their room. 
And while God does love when we love him and obey him, we will never, we will never earn his love. But being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ, Jesus, He's, he's the end of the law. Not, not, not like, um, boom, law's over because now Jesus. Not, not that kind of end, but like the, now we've arrived because we've gotten to Jesus. He's the goal. The one that we're trying to get to. That kind of end of the law. The end, the, the end purpose of the law is that you would get to Jesus. And it was always intended that way, that it would point to Him. For Moses, he says in verse 5, writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And so now all of these people who resonate with Paul in having this Jewish background, being very familiar with the Old Testament law, being very familiar with their own history, and saying, okay, this is how we were founded. Right? You ever find that in, in the United States, anybody ever cares how we were founded? How we started? Articles of incorporation and all of those things that were back there and how it was set up. This is what we're talking about here. When he's talking about Moses and Moses is giving them the law because God said, this is the way the law is. And then Moses said, guys, this is the way that we will relate to God. And so all of that is written down for the people of Israel by Moses, particularly in the, at the end of Deuteronomy in chapters 29 and 30. Uh, Moses is just reaffirming to them and saying, look, you have to know this is how the law works. God has taken you from slavery in Egypt. He's bringing you into a new land and you must know how you relate to God. And so I'm giving you all of these laws and all of these rules so that you will understand what it means to be the people of God and what it means for Him to be your God. You have to know this stuff. This is the covenant. This is the commandment. And so he writes all of these things down and I was, I'm really tempted this morning to read all of chapters 29 and 30 in, from the book of Deuteronomy to you. And I'm going to resist. So you have to promise me that you will go home this afternoon and read the chapters 29 and 30. It won't take you that long, but it takes up too large a percentage of my sermon allotted time, and we have gospel to get to, so I can't do it now. Okay? So... Chapter 29 and 30 of Deuteronomy, so that you understand the context, because without that context, uh, Romans chapter 10 almost makes no sense. Because in Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30, Moses is telling them, look it, these are the commandments that you must believe. And I'm just going to give you this excerpt from uh, chapter 30, verses 9 through 16. 
He says, For the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, and in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as He took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep His commandments and His statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Now, chapters 29 and 30 give you a more full context, but this was the summary of it. This was the part that uh, if you could only take one piece of all of Genesis through Deuteronomy, this sums up God's relationship with His people in 29-30, and then this in the really compact form, right? So, so this is like the most nutritious, compact form that we could get it for you, right here. This is the commandment that I am commanding you today, verse 11. And it's not too hard for you, neither is it far off, so that you shouldn't have to say, why, who will go to heaven and get it and bring it down to us so that we can hear it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And he just says, look, I'm putting these options before you. Decide that you will follow God. Decide that you will obey Him. For if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God and by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So now as Paul is writing... And he's writing to a church that has some people that are Gentiles, Greeks, people who are non-Jewish. And he's writing to them also, to those who are Jewish. So you have this church that's somewhat divided, maybe a lot divided, based on their history and where they come from. The Gentiles are going, yeah, you know, I don't think we need to have anything to do with you Jews. We just believe that's good enough. And the Jews are going, no! No, it has to be Jewish. And Paul is writing to them and he's going, look, guys, remember, remember in the Old Testament, remember in the Scriptures, how when we began as God's people, Moses handed this to us, this is the essence 
of our relationship with God and let me help you understand that essence in light of who Jesus is. So he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. How many times did you hear in those verses, if you obey, if you walk in his ways, if you keep his commandments and his statutes and his rules, if you do this, if you do that, if you do that. But, he says in verse 6 of Romans 10, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Well, that sounds very familiar. Those are some of the same words from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, right? Who will ascend into heaven for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. And he's saying the same thing. Don't say to yourself, who will go into heaven to get it and bring it back? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, when he says that, the reason he's saying that is he's going, look it, I'm putting the law right here before you. You don't have to go into some mystic place to try and grab something from heaven to bring it back. It's really plain, right here, written for you on stone tablets so that you may have these laws and commands and decrees. Do you know, people today still want to do that. They still want to make it more difficult than it is. They think that if they have some sort of um, spiritual meditation, that they will reach this new level where then they will understand then they will have the life and the universe and everything. They will get it. And there are people in the church who think the same thing. If I just was really spiritual, then I would say, God, I have these questions And somehow in my visions and dreams or in the back of my head or some sort of impression that I somehow would figure out, then God would speak to me and I would know what is true. Because I would have this special knowledge that comes directly from God into my brain. And what Paul is saying is, don't don't say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? It is not some mystical thing that is mysterious. It is right here in front of us. Not only has Moses written it down for us so that we can read the words of God direct to us so that it's not hard or complicated or distant, but also Jesus has come. Jesus has come. From heaven to us. Don't think to yourself, wow, how will I get to heaven so that I can understand all of these heavenly spiritual things? Because heaven has come down. God Himself has taken on flesh so that He could speak to us in a way that we would understand so that it wouldn't have to be mystical and complex and weird because Jesus has come to us. So do not uh, say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, nor who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. 
And again, people think, this is what we must do. If I really want to understand things that are difficult, what I will do is I will see a medium and we will talk to the dead who will tell us the things that we need to know. You don't have to do that. We, we, don't, have to, we don't have to go down into the depths. This happens even in the church again. And you go, wait, time out. I'm not going and talking to any mediums. But somebody comes out with this book. I had this near death experience. In fact, I was probably dead for minutes or a couple of hours. And let me tell you about all of the mysteries of who God is because I have been there, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And you know what? We don't have to go to those things. Why are we trying to seek out this special spiritual knowledge from these places up in the heavens with these visions or down in the depths from people who have died and come back to life? We don't need to do that because Jesus has come down from heaven to speak to us and He has already gone down to the grave and come back up again. So we don't need to go to those two places because we have the Scriptures, the Word of God, direct to us in a way that is plain and not complicated or difficult. Yeah. But what does it say? What is this word that is so simple? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. And it is in your heart. It's in your mouth and it is in your heart. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verses 14 to 16, so we're now even more condensed. This is like the vitamin pill version. (laughs) But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God and walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And all of the Jewish people are hearing Paul use these words. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And these are the verses that they're thinking because they're the word of God. This word from Deuteronomy is in their mouth and it is in their heart. They have been taught this from the time that they were little. They memorized it. They can repeat it. They can say it over and over and over again because this makes up who they are. This is the essence of what it means to be an Israelite. This is the essence of what it means to be Jewish. That in my mouth and in my heart, I will obey the commandments of the Lord my God that were commanded to us by Him through Moses at Sinai. And I will love the Lord my God and I will walk in His ways and I will keep His commandments and His statutes and His rules. I will love Him and I will obey Him because that is what it means to be a person of God. That is what it means to be Jewish. 
And Paul says in verse 8 of Romans chapter 10, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And at this point, all of the Jews are going, Whoa! Time out! The word of faith? I think you mean love and obedience. Isn't that what you meant, Paul? Because it's been very clear, love, obey, love, obey, love, obey. Not just commandments, but also statutes and rules. Obedience, very big with God. And if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. So I am going to obey. Paul is taking the most central and foundational uh, beliefs of theirs, and he's reinterpreting it in the light of Christ, and saying, look, you have missed the point. And I feel for you because I have too. But the whole point is Jesus. The whole point in having all of these statutes and commandments and rules was so that you could realize you can't obey God to the fullest. You can't keep all of those things and must depend on His mercy. Must depend on His compassion. You can't do it. Maybe you've been to the zoo, um, and at the zoo they have this rope pull thing. It's really hilarious to bring a group of elementary school kids to the elephant area where they have a rope pull thing that shows how heavy a thing is that an elephant can pull. Because what happens is that the elementary school kids grab hold of that rope and they tug with all their might to try and pull as much weight as an elephant can pull. And they compare with each other to see who can do a better job at pulling that rope. I think you missed the point, kids. An elephant can pull something that is very heavy. And you think you're stronger than you because you think that when you pulled it, the rope moved. It didn't. They may as well have tied it to a tank. Because you pulled and you pulled and you pulled and the whole point is you cannot pull as much as an elephant can. And you used it instead to compare yourselves to one another to see who was the strongest. Paul's saying, look, the whole law had this point of showing you that though you were comparing yourselves to one another, hey, I'm keeping rules 16 and 17. And somebody else goes, yeah, well, I got one, two, three, and four. Somebody else comes in and goes, I'm keeping practically the whole thing. Why do you say practically? Well, I don't count 22 and 24. Those are impossible. 
And the whole point is, look, you have all of these things that you must do in order to please God and you can't. And so you must call to Him and say, would you forgive me? That's why there's all the sacrifices. If people could keep it, they wouldn't need the sacrifices. If they could keep the law, they wouldn't need the sacrifices. But the fact that every week, every month, every season, every year, they have to keep coming back and back and back and back to offer these sacrifices because, God, I didn't keep your law again. Would you forgive me? God, I didn't keep your law again. Would you forgive me? God, I didn't keep your law again. Would you forgive me? And you think at some point they would get it. You can't keep the law and you need God to forgive you. It's all pointing to a need for a Savior who will forgive us because God is not happy when we don't keep His law. When we don't remain faithful to Him. So in the context of Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30, Moses is telling them, look, if you don't keep God's law, you're going to get the boot. And He's going to scatter you to all the nations all over the world to the Gentiles. You're going to have to live amongst them. And when that happens, because I'll be honest with you guys, it's going to. Then when you repent and you turn back to the Lord, He will save you and He will bring you back. So Paul's taking all of this and he's building on this knowledge that they have and he's saying, look, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart and it's the word of faith that I have been proclaiming to you. It's faith, it's faith, it's faith. God's grace extended to you by faith alone because you can't obey your, you can't obey your way into God's favor says this is the point verse 9 because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord now in light of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30 who is the Lord The Lord is Yahweh. Thunder and lightning on top of Mount Sinai, giving the law, you must follow me and obey my commandments. That God of the universe who created all things, the Lord. And Paul is going, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, who has come in flesh, so that you might be saved. I've had people knock on my door before and try and convince me things that they believe about the Bible and I always go to this verse. And I say, uh, here it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that what you believe? Well, it's pretty close. And I go, that's, that's it, right there. Salvation. Boom. Sparkly diamond. Right here. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that what you believe? I wouldn't want to say it's just that. Why not? That's what the Bible says. And in light of chapter 29 and 30, because I've also had somebody tell me, well, you know, the, the word Lord can just mean master or somebody who is over you. Not in this context, it can't. Any Jewish person who's reading this as Paul is talking to Jewish people in light of Deuteronomy 29 and 30, which he's quoting directly, but now helping us understand who the Lord is in light of Jesus, no one reading this can go, oh yeah, but that's not saying that Jesus is God. No, Jesus is God in this passage. Has to be. If you don't believe that Jesus is God in this passage, it's blasphemy. Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. These are the two pieces. That Jesus came down from heaven so we don't have to go up there. That Jesus raised up from the dead so we don't have to go down there. And when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, then we will be saved. Yes! Because we were just talking about all of the wrath of God against sin, right? You must obey, you must obey, you must obey, you must obey. Or otherwise you get the big boot. Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30 put it even more strongly. They say you will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Rubble. Nothing left. Just ashes. The wrath of God. Boom! On you. Because you did not obey. And so Paul is going, look, guys, there's a solution to this that isn't obeying. It's believing it's believing that Jesus died in our place and rose again from the dead so that we might be saved from the wrath of God. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified. There are many people that feel that they should be justified because of their actions. Well, I'm basically a good person. I have basically done things well, right, lovingly, justly, compassionately. Yeah, I think, I think I'd like to be judged based on my work. You don't want to be judged based on your work. Really and truly. Because you just can't keep all of those laws to perfection. The jealousy... Those words that come out 
at times and in ways that you wish you could take them back. The reason that you wish that you could take them back is because, guess what? You shouldn't have said that. Every time you do or say something that you have regret about, it's a proof again that you could not keep the law of God. It'd be another one of those times. All of those little regrets that you go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Is another time that you'd bring that sacrifice before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry that I did this. Every time your eye is caught by something other than God, and you go, ooh, really like that. Really want that. Every time that happens, it's just evidence that you are not loving God with your whole heart and obeying all of His commandments. Putting Him first at all times, in all ways. Proclaiming how great He is. It's just evidence piled up on top of evidence. We seem to have... Two different cultures around us. We have an obedience culture and we have a tolerance culture. An obedience culture is this, we must perform. We must perform to perfection. And then the tolerance culture is, you know, nobody's perfect. So we're just going to accept everybody where they're at Whatever they do. Because who am I to judge? And what's striking is that people hop back and forth from camp to camp. Hang on, you're not obeying. You must obey on this. We really have to tolerate the faults of these people. It's not their fault. It's just the environment that they were raised. But these people over here, they really have to obey. And we just do this dance back and forth, back and forth, sometimes really passionate about we must obey. We must uh, perform. And then on the other side, we really have to tolerate. And so let's all perform by tolerating the things that are tolerable and not tolerating the things that must be performed. Until the culture is whipped back and forth so fast that their heads are beginning to spin and go, is this a thing that we're tolerating or a thing that we can't tolerate? And all of this pointing us, leading us to a need for a Savior who comes in and says, listen, you can't. You can't perform completely. And we can't tolerate the lack of performance, and so I will save you from the wrath of God. It's the only way forward. That through the grace of God, we can say, this is what is true, and hang on to that, whether or not we can perform to it. We have a standard and say, well, this is what is true, and then we have grace for those who seek forgiveness from God. For with the heart one believes and is justified. It is the only way. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
one confesses it. They believe it and proclaim it. There are a lot of people that want to say, well, you can't know their heart. No, but you can know what they're saying. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. This is not merely internal. I believe it in my head, I believe it in my heart, but nothing that I do or say will be evidence of what is inside. No. Believe and confess. Internal and external. Otherwise, how can we glorify God? How can we give Him the glory for doing the saving work? Because what happens too often, I think, is that when we come into church and it's a very safe place for us to go, I believe in Jesus and believe that I am saved by His grace alone and blood alone. Only His blood is enough to cover my sin. And I will loudly sing that with trombones on Sunday morning. And then I go outside and I see the dance and I start dancing back and forth. Tolerance, obedience, tolerance, obedience. Because that's what the culture is doing and I want to fit in. And when you start walking down the middle, going, hey guys, I found a third way. Turns out, we don't have to dance back and forth between the two. We can walk right down the middle because of Jesus. People go, what are you doing? You can't be tolerant about everything like that. That doesn't work. And then on the other hand, you get accused of, you can't hold that kind of a standard. No one can do that. And so back and forth, you get ridiculed from both sides and you're like, hey, I'm just walking down the middle here, hanging on to Jesus. And we confess that with our mouth. It has to be made public. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's part of what it means to believe in God. Is that we believe it in our hearts and we proclaim it with our mouths. For everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Verse 11. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Joel chapter 2, verse 26. That's the, Moses gives the law, and it's pointing forward, right? It's pointing us forward to this time when they will reject God and be kicked out and then brought back again. This is what's happening in Joel. Joel chapter 2, the prophet Joel is speaking to the nation of Israel and he's going, look, you guys got kicked out because of all of this stuff and God wants to bring you back. And so let me tell you about what's going to be happening. You shall eat plenty. This is Joel chapter 2, verse 26. You shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. Then further on in 28-32 through it says, And it shall come to pass afterward 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord has called. All of it is pointing forward. The law pointed forward. Then the new covenant, right? We had the old covenant. And then the new covenant as prophesied by Joel. This is a time that is coming. And Paul is saying, look, just as it was, uh, the law was given by Moses and points us forward toward Jesus, and then the, the new covenant was prophesied by the prophets when we didn't keep the old covenant... Jesus has come to fulfill the new covenant so that it is not by obedience, but it is, in fact, only by faith. For the Scripture says, verse 11 of uh, Romans 10, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord, Jesus, is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the Jews at this point are going, Whoa! What? What? We had the law that we couldn't keep and we knew that and so we had all of those sacrifices and then when we didn't keep it really for reals, then the Lord kicked us out And Joel said there would be a time of a new covenant when we would be brought in and we would never again be put to shame and everyone who called on the name of the Lord would be saved. Do you mean to tell me? Do you mean to tell me that because we couldn't keep all of the law, we have to call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved? Yep, that's what I'm saying. Believe in your heart. Jesus is Lord. And confess with your mouth. Call to the Lord and you will be saved. And that's true for Jews and Greeks both. There's no distinction in the way that this salvation works. And the Gentiles and the Jews both at the same time are going, Crazy! There's no distinction between us? Well, I guess we can't be a divided church anymore then, huh? Yeah. Everybody comes in in the same place, unable to perform the complete will of God, and so depending on calling on Him, believing in your heart that Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, came in flesh died for your sins, rose again from the dead, and that by doing that, you may be saved. And so this diamond that we're looking at, we just go, whoa! How incredible! How incredible that in all of history, the wrath of God has been there. This really unpopular idea about the wrath of God, because why would we want to have a God that hates sin? But He does. And we're not on the wrong side of that. We are not objects of wrath, but objects of mercy. 
And the law, this thing that we thought was so terrible, because he had all these sacrifices and stuff, and all this weirdness from the Old Testament is shining like a light on this diamond so that we can see how sparkly it is that all of us, whether Jew or Greek or Gentile or wherever you came from, you come in and you come and you see this diamond and you go, that is amazing. That is amazing. Because God has saved me based on my belief and my confession. And I would encourage you this morning, if you have not yet confessed that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead that you may be saved, this is a great morning to do that. I would love to meet with you afterwards, to pray with you afterwards. Either of the elders, uh, Rick and um, Andy, raise your hands. Either of those guys would love to do that. Any of the life group leaders, raise your hands, life group leaders. Would love to do that with you. We would love to talk with you about this more. Because this is a really awesome diamond. And for those of you who have already believed that, and have already confessed it, I would encourage you, even this week, what we're going to be looking at next week is the confession of that publicly. What does it mean to proclaim this? To live in such a way that is in harmony with this internal belief so that all might know that there is this way that we don't have to do the dance. We can just walk steady right down the middle. Let's praise God for that together. Our Father in Heaven, we are so grateful that you are our God who has loved us. Father, we thank you for the way that you have ordained history to be. So that as you revealed yourself on Mount Sinai, it showed us how holy and awesome you are. And that we can never live up to that. And then, Father, you have continued to reveal your love for us by showing us that even when we fail to live up to your expectations, we have a Savior, Jesus, the Lord. So that we might confess our sin and call for salvation through His death and resurrection. And Lord, we thank You for the hope that we are saved in that. I pray for those who are here this morning that are struggling in their own hearts or in their own minds with what this means or how it works. Father, I pray that You would help them to believe to be bold to ask the questions that they still have. To wrestle with what this means. And having believed to walk it out in a way that acknowledges to everyone my salvation is in Christ alone. It is in His name that we pray. Amen.